Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey everyone, and thank you for listening to the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. I appreciate you tuning in every week. As usual, an extra special thank you to everyone who is supporting the show on Patreon. If you like the show and find it provides value and want to help keep it going, check out the Patreon link in the description. Here's what's coming up next on the Liverboard Sailing Podcast. There was the challenge when we got to Mozambique that it was possible. Uh, and so because I love Africa, I thought, now that there's the nickel that it's possible, let's go see how possible it is. And it was fantastic. That whole east coast of Africa, I'd encourage people to sail to. One, because very few boats go and it's beautiful and it's culturally diverse and it, it will stand out as a very different, you know, it's not blue water cruising at all. Welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Annika. On the Liverboard Sailing Podcast, I chat with awesome people who live, work, and travel on their sailboats. My guests share inspiring stories and real-life advice about the lifestyle so that you and I can be better prepared for our sailing adventures. In this week's episode, I'm joined by Kia Korup, a seasoned sailor who completed an 11-year circumnavigation and who ventured into some of the most remote and lesser-known places with her husband and two kids. We're talking places like the Gambia, Sumatra, India, Mozambique, and so on, so you get a bit of an idea what we're talking here. Kia shares with us her fascinating insights and experiences on what's it like to sail to places that are not even on the radar for most sailors. So here we go with Kia. We didn't spend any time planning for the journey. We basically bought a boat and left and did it as long as we were enjoying it, which ended up being 11 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you've now completed the circumnavigation. And, you know, if you think back to the time when you were just starting, 
Do you remember what were you thinking your trip would be like? Did you foresee that, yes, this is going to be, a, you know, about a decade and we'll be back? Or what, what were your plans when you were leaving? None, really. Um, so this, for both John and I, the circumnavigation doesn't mean anything to us, really. Um, I think it sounds like something significant to people who might not have sailed because it's a big ocean out there. But we never set out with a plan to circumnavigate or do any of that. It was just we kind of fell into the lifestyle and enjoyed it and just picked our places as we went. Our route was not circular. It was much more like, you know, consecutive W's all shoved into a row. We didn't take um, kind of the traditional uh, milk run cruising route. Um, we didn't set a time frame. Um, so for us, it really was just falling into the lifestyle and choosing it season by season. And so for us, we pretty much, John had circumnavigated before when he was 27, he ended up, he had been in the um, British Navy and you know, they were kind of overstaffed. And so they took any hands up to, to leave early uh, with a stipend. So he did that and ended up with some, you know, big cash at 27. And so he bought a little boat, and sailed around the world for, it took about four years when he was about, I'd like to say, 27 or 28. And I um, had done a passage across the Pacific when I was in my early 20s. I packed everything up and, and left for Africa and spent a few years there. But before the week before I left, I, was, I had a little 32-foot uh, sailing boat in a marina and the person next to me in the marina asked what I was doing. And I told him that I was off to, you know, travel Africa. And he said it's something he always wanted to do, but by boat. So I said, great, I'm quitting and I'm going to travel. So when I'm done with that, let's, let's, let's talk. So I sent him a message from Africa and he still wanted to do it. And so, you know, three years later, I flew back. A month later, we jumped on a 32 foot sailboat, neither of us doing open ocean. And we sailed across the Pacific. Those to me were much more intrepid stories than anything we've done over, you know, the last 11 years. Um, cause neither of us had been out there before, but the stories about Atia and I, I last 11 years. So both John and I had, uh, cruised and we both really liked it. So we met in August. We sailed to Vietnam for six weeks in December. We looked at two boats and bought the second one, which was Atia in like January, March, we moved on board and, and May we, uh, we left. So there was no spending a lot of time dreaming or planning. We met, we both liked boats. We'd both been cruising. And so we were like, we're at a position that we're kind of ready to do something different. So what do you think about getting a boat together? So, yeah, so all of it for us was very organic and just um, not pre-planned. So we kind of, we met and we decided that we were, you know, had both had been, you know, we both had interest in boats and sailing and both had cruised and we both really liked it. And so we basically got confirmation of our purchase of the boat the same day we got ultrasounds that I was actually pregnant, which I was in denial. And so when I'd gone in to... Uh, see the doctor and found out that it was legit. She said, I said, well, we're, we're thinking of buying a boat and going sailing. And she said, well, there, you know, well, that's not going to happen. You know, you're pregnant. And um, so, you know, you'll have to change that plan. 
And so we walked out of that, you know, the doctor's office and John says, well, there goes that idea. And I turned on him and said, if we're going to, if we're going to see this pregnancy through, we're going to see our plans come through. So I said, we're doing it all or we're going to do none of it. (laughs) Um, So it didn't change anything. And we ended up, I was 14 weeks pregnant when we sailed out of New Zealand and we just went for a trial run um, to see if we liked it together up to Fiji and Tonga. And I came back three weeks before the delivery of my son in New Zealand and we decided that was fun. So let's carry on. And really every year kind of went that way of, well, let's keep going. We ended up spending two years in the South Pacific. We had spent, we, then I felt pregnant with my daughter in Australia and we decided that we would continue to cruise. Um, and that was a very difficult decision because she was an at-risk pregnancy. And so most people probably would have canceled and gone home. And for me, it was a huge decision of safety and responsibility and just carrying on with the, you know, everything that we were currently doing. So I'd found a doctor in Malaysia to support me. And we sailed through that pregnancy up until the end. And in the last, on the last two months, I had an ultrasound um, in Lombok, uh, next to Bali. And they decided that I needed to get home um, because there could be some serious complications. So we left the boat in Malaysia, flew back for delivery of my daughter and left the boat um, in a marina. And then we did need to do some stuff here in terms of her care. And so at nine months, we flew back to the boat and, and spent two years kind of in Asia during that stage. And then we were leaving Thailand when my son got very sick uh, and he came down with type 1 diabetes uh, and it was diagnosed very late. So we were, we were four days in ICU and then up to the hospital in Bangkok for a month. So, you know, it's not only been us out kind of just endure, just enjoying all the sailing, you know, there was life in all of it. But through all that, we just um, kind of made the decision year by year that we were going to do a little bit more. But from Asia, it was the only time that we decided how much do we want to carry on doing this? Do we carry west? Because from here, turning around to go east to New Zealand becomes more complicated. Or are we happy? going the easier route, which is to carry on west around the globe. And so, you know, we've been thin sailing however many years and just decided, well, we'll see it through to come back home rather than turn around because we met some friends who kind of just made us more interested in the Indian Ocean than we had, you know, in the Pacific. And that was a really good decision because the Indian Ocean was very, very different. Um, and we loved that. So then we just... um you know, we had a very different and separate route in the Indian Ocean the first year because we had missed the pack. Because as you probably know, there's there's a pack that runs across the world in um, yeah, circumnavigation, and there's a standard route to, to follow in that. And so that first year in the Indian Ocean was, was really wonderful because we were completely outside of that. So we had very few to no boats around us. Um, we were completely on our own in Chagas. We were completely on our own in the Maldives. Um, it's the reason we went to India because we had time until the kickoff of the next season. So it sent us up to India, which we would have bypassed had we been, you know, in a, in a normal cruising season. So sometimes the odd things thrown your way, um, 
are the best things for me and probably for John really it's more about the sailing but for me it's absolutely about the travel and I've done a bunch of traveling and I love the more intrepid stuff so being out there away from the crowd doing our own things is uh, have really been the highlights of all the traveling we've done anyways we spent the two years in the Indian Ocean and then um, took a break in South Africa because we were kind of low on funds and we left the boat in Saldana, which was supposed to be a year, but due to the contract, we stayed a year and a half, flew back to the boat just before COVID hit, and then have traveled these last three years through COVID, you know, up the Atlantic and then across the Pacific. So that's the kind of the general run. Yeah, and you know, a lot to unpack there. But of course, that is 11 years summarized in, in a few minutes. So uh, no wonder. But yeah, that, that is quite the start to your trip, you know, uh, or your, I guess, you, I don't know if you thought about it as a trip or it's just a different lifestyle. I mean, obviously, you both knew that you were comfortable at sea and, and loved the idea of living in a boat. And I love that you said that we just, you know, always kept going a little bit at a time, like, do we still want to do this? Yeah, let's go a little bit. Rather than setting, you know, this huge goal for yourself, like, let's go circumnavigating, you know, three years, and uh, seven days, or, or what have you, like, it seemed quite organic. And then, like you said, life, life mixed in there, with children being born and uh, medical issues to, to manage uh, in different countries. So that's... Uh, Yeah, that that is quite the story. <laughs> yeah, I think that it seems to me in the, you know, the decade we've been doing this, the vlogs and the blogs, and the podcast and, you know, all that has really spun this thing into something much bigger. So like backpacking, when we set off and bought a boat, you know, people have been moving around on boats for generations and liverboards and all that has been going on for a long time. But it seems to have kind of caught the the fancy of people who wouldn't normally kind of gravitate to boats, you know, and certainly the, the, all the, all those vlogs kind of sell this, this dream that seems to have just captured the imagination of so many people. And all of a sudden it's become a thing But when we set out, particularly setting out for the Pacific, because as you mentioned in an earlier question, so many people kind of will stay in the Caribbean or might do the Pacific run and sell their boats. I had no idea about all that. I knew that Caribbean was crowded because I'd grown up there. And friends who of ours at that time said, never go back. It's become this, you know, this just this crazy hub of ultra Uber tourism. But when we set out, it wasn't, this is a thing people are looking to do. There was nothing like that for us at all. We had both sailed before and we had both cruised before. And we both liked it. So um, we set out at a time that there wasn't any hype around uh, liveaboard families or distance, you know, circumnavigations or any of that. Obviously, it sounds like what kind of led you to this sailing lifestyle is for you to travel and, and for your husband, maybe more the sailing thing. And it's a great way to combine the both. But you've explored some really off the beaten path places, like you mentioned, uh, a few of them like the Gambia or Mozambique and India. And uh, some of it sounds like you were just kind of, you missed the boats, so to speak, uh, of the, the seasonality of, of what most people do. But was there more to that? Like what made you interested to sail to these places that are not really 
even on the radar for for most sailors? Um, John will laugh. He he will always blame it on me. I like uh, going off the beaten track. So my history is I grew up ex, as an expat kid, and we traveled up until I was about 15 and settled in America. I then went at 20 and spent a year backpacking around Europe, and at 21 backpacked around Central America. I then went on to school and got my you know my degrees, and then went to work for about five years and decided you know travel here and there, but decided I wanted to go do something bigger. So at the end of that, I packed up and moved to Africa and traveled around there for three years. And it was just that conversation before Africa from my neighbor who said, I want to go sailing. And I said, sure, let's do that. That kind of led me into sailing by boat. But for me, I love off the beaten track. Uh, I'll always drive there over someplace more popular. So, you know, uh, India was only a result of kind of a mixed season, but uh, Mozambique, came by nature of I had uh, run a dive shop in Mozambique when I was in my early 30s, um, and I loved it. And I lived in Africa when I was uh, a child, and um, I lived in Kenya, and I loved it. I traveled. Um, when I moved to Africa, that first stint out of work, I ran an, uh, I worked for an overland company uh, that took us touring around East Africa. Uh, and I did that for a year. So I had experience in Africa. When we were leaving Mozambique, most people don't go west because of the currents that um, kind of can be difficult to then sail south. So really heading to Africa from the Seychelles is not uh, a chosen path. Most people will head kind of south to Reunion and onwards to uh, Madagascar and then South Africa. However, there was the challenge when we got to Mozambique that it was possible uh, and so because I love Africa, I thought, now that there's the nickel that it's possible, let's go see how possible it is. And it was fantastic. That whole east coast of Africa, I'd encourage people to sail to. One, because very few boats go, and it's beautiful, and it's culturally diverse, and it's, um, you know, it will stand out as a very different, it's not, you know, it's not blue water cruising at all. But you have all the whales that come down the coast and you have all the dows sailing around you and you have all these destinations where you pull up and, you know, people are, you know, interested. And they, English is not spoken. So you really have to rely on smiles and just, you know, human nature to kind of make it all work. But um, traveling down that coast, if you hug the coast, is very doable. Um, and, um, we just, um, we threw that out there. So that was Mozambique. Um, and then we decided we couldn't miss Madagascar. So we traveled halfway down the coast of Mozambique and we shot over to Madagascar. So we didn't miss out on that. And we traveled back to Mozambique to stay at the lodge of a friend of mine. And then, so we, we really talked in most people that will bypass Mozambique completely. So it was, you know, there are areas it's hard anchoring and it can be hard sailing, but the rewards ashore made it all all worth it. Um, when it comes to Gambia, um, a lot of the places, you know, you just kind of see if it fits in when it's in front of you. We never have a plan. We have an idea, kind of a loose idea of, okay, this season we're going to go and make it this far. But um, Gambia was just kind of a part of conversation with a friend, frankly. And as I was backpacking, it's, uh, you know, what kind of got me as a single backpacker on my own kind of traveling to Turkey. Somebody said, oh, 
you like different stuff. I think you'd like turkey. And for the same reason, we ran into uh, a lovely German couple who had uh, spent time in Gambia. And they said, oh, you know, Gambia is a river and it's really different. And I think you'd like it. And I came, I had only gone over, you know, for two hours to a new boat who had just entered the marina who had a little baby. And they were smiling. And I popped over and had a tea. And in that conversation, they said, oh, you know, Gambia's kind of told me the story of spending some time there. And I came back to John. I said, we're fitting Gambia in. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we're going to Gambia. And so John, who's always willing to take on my ideas and try and fit them into a plan, said, well, all right, let's, maybe it was no at first, but I was insistent. And so it became, all right, let's, let's see what that's going to require. And it was honestly one of the highlights you know, all the places that you name, Mozambique, India, Gambia, those are all highlights in terms of just really traveling. The boat's my means to get to places that are that are special. And um, for me, you know, Gambia was, you know, the Gambians are so warm and hospitable. And the fact that you go, and boats do go, but not many, you know, means that, you know, they're not inundated and over you, you know, that's warm acceptance. And I've mm-hmm. never been, you know, and, you know, I've never been invited to more tea and meals and, you know, all that. We really got into the culture there because people were so warm and inviting. And I like off the beaten track because so often that's where you get your best experiences with the locals because they're not overseeing another person trotting along, you know, their back road or whatever it might be. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, in terms of my advice to people, you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan if something better doesn't come into place. But and, and a lot of people have their budgets that will either restrict them or allow them more flexibility. And it comes down to personality, what people are comfortable with, and they have to go with, you know, what feels comfortable. And I've always been a risk taker because I found my best rewards come by kind of going out of that box. But that's my personality. Um, John Mm -hmm. is a program manager, and he might not have thought of those ideas, but is happy to try and work things in. Yeah, exactly. And that's a really good advice uh, about not having the or being flexible with your plans and intentions and and being open to changing your plans because you can make all the plans you want but uh chances are something 
unforeseen is going to come up and you're going to have to rejig your plans and make new ones and all that. So, and you've certainly given many, many examples of that already. So um, what I was curious about though, we haven't talked about your boat yet. So what, tell me about your boat that's been your home for the past decade or so. Yeah. Um, boats are boats and boats can be small and they can be big. They can, you can fit into anything. And I've seen families that, you know, people of five on, you know, I'm sorry, I should say a family of five on a tiny little, um, catamaran that was, you know, tiny. And the thing that I know about space is you just grow to your space. Um, if anyone's shopping for boats, Consider your budget of what you want to do first and make the boat not the first priority. Make your adventure the first priority. And if that means you have to buy a smaller boat or, you know, downsize some way, make sure that your priority for what you're doing is the front runner. And so for me, the priority was travel. Um, and um, I get caught into what's the best boat and what's the biggest boat and what's, you know, and the the whole thing comes down to the first question should be, what do you want to do? You know, <clears throat> do you want more money in a boat or do you want more money in, you know, your meals ashore or do you want um, a bigger budget that you're going to live conservatively on? Um, and some of the boat will come down to that. For us personally, we didn't shop around. We decided <clears throat> that we were interested in looking for boats. And so <clears throat> at the time, boats in America were very cheap. And so Online, we, you know, started, well, I didn't actually, John was, John was doing it and he was looking in uh, America with the thought that we'd fly over. We found a boat that uh, has a funny story attached to it because it ends up being a friend of a friend, but I won't go there. But then I found out I was pregnant and we decided shopping for a boat overseas with this pregnancy on board was too much that if we want to do this, we'd just buy something locally. So we looked at two boats and the second boat we got on and um we really liked it was it was more than we thought we were going to spend but at that point we weren't shopping for a boat to circumnavigate or do any more than anything more than buy a boat and take a season up in Fiji and Tonga and just see how we liked it so we weren't we had no big ideas um fortunately for us the boat we bought is um the owner was hoping to 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 go out and do some long distance sailing so she was really perfectly set up for long distance uh time uh and a lot of miles in terms of dual systems and really good kit when he invested he invested bigger rather than anything so the boat we bought is a new zealand design boat probably not well known internationally but certainly known in new zealand the um the uh the builder was uh Dennis Ganley and our boat is a steel monohull um, built in uh, 1996. Um, she has a bow so overall she's uh, 50 foot, but really the the deck the deck space is about equivalent to a 45 foot boat. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's that's been uh, plenty of room for you, and like you said, you grow into the space, however much or little you have it. <laughs> we. I will say that we are starting to outgrow our space as the kids got bigger, just in terms of noise and a little bit of um, uh, space to go to when, when you needed it. But um, I say that sarcastically, um, you know, after 11 years, yeah, um, you know, we love her. We still have her. And I'm not sure what we'll do with her in terms of distractions here and a big, 
big investment in a boat that's you know sitting on a mooring and probably not used as much. We'll probably look to sell her, and I'd love to do something again if it's by boat, just get something else down the line and something smaller while we're living ashore. But, um, you know, in terms of boats, I don't think when we bought a steel boat, I mean, we didn't shop around. We saw her and she was clean and tidy and well, very well looked after. And we, we could buy her. It was a bit of an extension. We weren't expected, but we could make that happen. And so we just bought her so that we could go and we left two months. Well, we moved on board two months later and left two months after that. Um, so we didn't really make the shopping and the looking a big deal. Um, that said, without a big plan, there wasn't that foresight that we were shopping for something we might spend 10 years on. Maybe we would have treated it differently, but I'm also glad we didn't because we didn't waste years preparing for something more. We just had the idea. We thought it was a good time, and so we, we, we took off with that. Um, but a steel boat is a lot of maintenance, and we had a young family that took a lot of our attention and time. Um, and so whilst, um, steel is amazing in terms of structure, it requires a lot of care. I will say when we were in Cocos Healing, the police boat came up, approached, and I asked them to stand off because there were waves and they said, no, 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 we're fine. And it was a moment where I had to reflect, you know, when you own it, you get to claim what is okay with you. And I backed down and they rammed the side of our boat and put a huge dent into it and if we had fiberglass we would have been in deep trouble because there were no services for any repair or uh, getting any materials out there and because we had a steel boat we you know we said uh, <laughs> we got them to give us some some paint and we just carried on uh, it didn't you know pull us back or stop us from anything so about your experience, uh, you know, it's obviously we've kind of done a bit of a, a high-level overview of all your adventures and um, experiences over the past decade or so. And uh, what I wanted to ask about some of these um, more off-the-beaten path places that you've been to, in terms of um, like the bureaucracy of checking into countries and checking out of countries that don't see a lot of boats, did you find that to be more strict or were countries more so like oh just come on in we don't get many boats so we don't have a system in place for that because i could see that going both ways either they have they give you every paper they can imagine and find or they give you nothing to fill out yeah i think it's really it's this country just you know it's country and person really dependent um we've gone to places where they're incredibly flexible because they're not used to this kind of protocol and they just kind of well, push things through, you know, and then you're off to their house for tea for the afternoon. A lot of it's country dependent. India was an incredible amount of paperwork, an incredible amount of bureaucracy, because that's just India. And if you fly in or travel in or sail in, you're going to get that anywhere you go. You know, for me, part of that was all part of its charm. They're just really warm and welcoming people. So whilst you're sitting there for five hours signing 25 of the exact same form so it could go to every different little tray that's going to sit there for the next hundred years you know there's a, a real sweetness to the people that makes it part of the experience you know all those things really 
You know, you might spend a day or two walking around town, taking paperwork here, there, and the other place, and, you know, the systems aren't all dialed in and slick and smooth, but it's all part of, you know, the experience um, and charming for that. So really, when it comes to that, there's no, there's no standard. There's no, don't go off the beaten path because it's always so difficult, you know, um, it's uh, country dependent and certainly, you know, you need to look before you go, but we don't do any major pre-planning. We are so fly by the seat of the pants. Literally, sometimes I shouldn't really say that we haven't really thought everything through before we arrived at the country and they've said, oh, you didn't know you needed a visa. Well, here we go. Let's just do it right now. Fortunately, we haven't gotten into trouble anywhere, but I guess we know, you know, you know, the countries that are very strict. Um, and it's not like we're, you know, don't think things through at all. Sometimes you just have to gamble if that, if you, if there's no documentation online to let you know what you're going to do when you get to a country, you just have to take that risk. But in terms of countries, you know, that have that out there, you do your, you do your stuff in advance and make sure that entry is clear. And that saves you for countries that are used to it or have strict protocol. It saves you a whole bunch of money and headache. So. I guess with that, you know, sometimes we've just had to go, we'll just go and see what happens when we get there. There's two places that we we didn't clear in because we knew that there was uh, bribery and a lot of boats had had some pretty painful experiences and we kind of gambled because we knew we weren't going to be in too long and that paid off. But, you know, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, we've been pretty, pretty lucky and for sure, you know, the majority of everything we've done as per protocol, but, um, yeah, when you travel, you have to be flexible and you have to, you know, be willing to just see what comes. And, you know, fortunately for the, for the, for the most part, you know, um, you go in, you know, you go in nice and humble and people will accept that, you know, we've followed people behind us who come in aggressive and they've had a whole bunch of problems. You think, well, I would have done the same to you too, because you came in like you own this country and you're a guest. So, being 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 kind and travel wise, you know, and humble or whatever, being patient, you know, will go will go a long way in anywhere you go to. Oh, I was gonna add you made the yeah, comment about traveling to countries and having boat problems, um and not having the resources. I tell you, in some of these places that have no resources, we've had our best work done because you know, there's machinery everywhere, let alone you know, if they're working on a, a sailboat or a diesel truck or whatever, we've had some of the most simple jerry rigs put in place that has lasted us far longer than the professional service with the right kit. The one thing I'd say in, in traveling, though, if you if you don't know your mechanics, that is what you'll spend most of your time doing, you know, fixing things on boats. So know your engine very well or take a class before you go because you can get to places that you know, you can't rely on a professional to do the service. Now, the cruising community is incredibly tight. And there's people out there with tenure or experience or whatever, and hit run across something. So, you know, you do, you're not out there on your own when something comes up, you want to make sure that you have all the parts you think you might need and the parts you think you might not need on board, because you'll need those parts. But, um, you know, and try and know as much as you can just in terms of all the key maintenance, because that becomes the biggest part of cruising is that you have a boat that is constantly requiring maintenance and work and care. 
And um, you're not out there on your own, but as much as you can know of those kinds of things before you start, the more comfortable you're going to feel moving forward. Because if you can't fix it and you don't trust it and you're not kind of a way, then you can get yourself into, into some problems. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Kia, you've given me so many good tips and advice here on calculated risks and being flexible and just embracing the adventure. I really love your attitude towards all this. So thank you for chatting with me today. Definitely embrace the adventure, you know, and boating's not it. It's out there everywhere. But for those, I mean, I remember kind of being a single, young single woman, getting a backpack and going off on my own to Central America thinking, all right excited about that and my friends going oh my god but you're sing you know on your own and it's going to be crazy and you're going to be threatened and in all it in anything you go into there's already people out there doing it and so while it might feel intrepid from you know wintry canada to go out to the tropics there's people who are out there doing it and you'll join a team and you have the support and you have, a, and cruising, absolutely, you have a huge community, and um, and it's quite a beautiful experience, that or any of it, but yeah. Unless you choose to be on your own cruising, you'll never be on your own. You have to seek that out. Yes, I would imagine that, and it's a big ocean, so you can definitely do that, but I have heard many people say that the cruising community is just uh, a fantastic uh, resource wherever in the world you are, so that's really reassuring to hear as a, you know, prospective sailor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I hope you get out there. And if it's not a boat, then it's anywhere in the world. But it's, um, it's nice to kind of push yourself to do different things. And uh, cruising has been a really beautiful experience um, in so many different ways. So, you know, the nature and the culture and just the sailing, uh, the lifestyle, the time you know, either with your partner or certainly um, in our case, you know, getting the time with your children is, is is precious. And I'm so glad that we weren't too busy stay at home, you know, full time working people at a time when our kids really cared about us. Now that they're getting to be nine and 11, we're less important. I think we grabbed that kind of that that time. Well, I think that is a good spot to wrap this up. I mean, thank you so much for sharing all these experiences. It's been really inspiring to hear your uh, stories. Oh, thank you. Yeah, hopefully there's some tidbits for anybody that has any specific questions. I'm happy to answer. I'm happy to encourage anyone and I and, and be realistic about it. You know, it's um, it's just a lifestyle. Unless you're just going for a year, it's not um, a full-time party and it's not just a full-time holiday. You know, when you're living on your boat, you're you're having to cook from scratch. You're having to maintain the boat, you know, all the time. You're, you're just living your life on a boat with uh, without the structures and without the routine, you know, the deep routine. You're, you do have routine in terms of how you run your day. But um, there's highs, there's lows, there's separation from family that people have to take into account. If they have a really tight family, that's tough for people. Separation from long-term friends and, and, and moments in people's lives that you kind of step out of. Um, you know, there's there's all the highs and lows that you have in any life that come with it. And so, you know, if you're wanting to go cruising, you're just moving into a different way of living your, your daily life. You'll still have your fights with your partner and you'll still have your down days, um, but you'll live a very rich, 
and rewarding experience because everything's not just the same every day. Everything, new places and 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 lots of new challenges and you know it's all that. But um, you know, just prepared for for all the for all the ups and downs of a regular life, just doing it a different different way for a while. And that's it for today's episode of the Liverbird Sailing Podcast. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Kia and her adventures and got some inspiration for your own sailing adventures. Be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the podcast and that will actually be the last one of the season. In the meantime, come say hi on Instagram and Facebook or check out the podcast website at liverbirdsailingpodcast.com. Until then, bye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.